Father in heaven, we thank you again for grace, for your power. Thank you that you are not just the light of our world, but the world. And Lord, you are shining in every man's life in some way. Father, we pray that you would expose us to this greater picture. Help us to pan back and see all that you are doing, the one who does wondrous things. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now let's, watch, let's start off with an Ellen White quote. This is so powerful right here, you guys. Look what she says right here. Christ was the originator of all the ancient gems of what? Truth. truth. Through the work of the enemy, these truths have been displaced. displaced. Now what does the word displaced mean? Who can tell me what the word displaced means? Taken out of context and placed in another context. Now watch what she is saying right here. Through the work of the enemy, these truths had been displaced. They had been disconnected from their true position and placed in the framework of error. Notice this. What she is saying that these truths were taken away. They were uprooted and placed in an entire, entirely different framework. A framework of error. Christ's work was to readjust, and by the way, she says in another quotation, reset, readjust and establish the precious gems in the framework of truth. The principles of truth that had been given by himself to bless the world had, through Satan's agencies, had been buried and apparently become extinct. Christ rescued them from the rubbish of error, gave them a new vital force, and commanded them to shine as precious jewels and to stand fast forever. Christ himself could use any of these old truths without borrowing the smallest particle, for he himself had originated them all. Can you say amen to that? This is very important to understand because you see that the author of all truth is Christ. Now watch what the Bible starts off with. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem. And by the way, what does Jesus say? Men will come from the east and from the west. Do you know that those who came from the east in the very beginning of his ministry were the Magi and the Greeks at the very end of his life came from the west. And so this was a fulfillment of that. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who had been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Watch what Desire of Ages, page 60 says. The wise men from the east were what? Philosophers. They belonged to a large and influential class that included men of noble birth and comprised much of the wealth and learning of their nation. Others were upright men who studied the indications of providence in nature and were honored for their integrity and wisdom. Of this character were the wise men to come to Jesus. The light of God is ever shining amid the darkness of heathenism. And by the way, what does Jesus say? I am the light of the World, And by the way, I highly recommend that chapter in the book Desire of Ages because she makes it very clear that Jesus is not just in the Christian church, but he is working in every single man's world, regardless of whether they're Christian or not Christian. As these magi studied the starry heavens and sought to fathom the mystery hidden in the bright paths, they beheld the glory of the Creator. Seeking clearer knowledge, they turned to the Hebrew Scriptures. In their old land, this is extremely important, were treasured prophetic writings that predicted the coming of a divine teacher, Balaam belonged to the magicians. And though one time a prophet of God and by the Holy Spirit he had foretold the prosperity of Israel and the appearing of the Messiah, his prophecies had been handed down by tradition from century to century. The Magi learned with joy that his coming was near and that the whole world was to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. These Magis did not have the entirety, the totality of the Hebrew Scriptures. They only had one Scripture and who was it? It was the writings of Balaam the prophet. The writings in the Balaam prophet found in Numbers. 
And what happened is when Balaam was sent to curse Israel, all of a sudden he began to give these prophetic utterances and talking about this star that would appear, that would herald the coming of the Messiah. Did you know that the word magi is actually related? People, many people think that these magis came from what, is, what was then known as Persia. Iranians still have the writings of Balaam today. Did you know that? They still have the writings of Balaam today. Watch what this is found. This was actually found. It's called the Deir Allah inscription, or Balaam, the son of Beor inscription. From, it, was, it was dated 840, 70, It was considered a copy. But what this was, it was found in 1967. And these were writings of Balaam the prophet. And you know what's very interesting? If you want to find out how far he apostatized from God, you write that, you check that up, you can type it up in Google, and you will find out what he says in these writings. You will find how far he apostatized from God. And when he showed up and he began to attempt to curse Israel, God spoke to him. But folks, I want you to understand something. There are people, there are people who are in a variety of nations, in a variety of countries, in a variety of religions, just like these wise men who are searching, who are pleading for truth and understanding. They want to know what is right and what is right, what is true. And God is leading them through his Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is very important to understand. God does not judge a man based upon what he does not know, but based upon what he knows and is he faithful to that. So who do you think is going to be held even greater responsibility in the judgment? The Seventh-day Adventist Church will be held to the greatest standard of judgment because we have the greatest collection of truth assembled that has been brought through all the ages, brought down. Folks, I want you to understand something. There are people who have just a little bit of light who are faithful to that little bit of light and God is leading them. And what we're going to see as we go through this seminar presentation, you're going to see various countries, various nations, various nations where there are just specks of truth, gospel truth, that has been passed down to tradition, through hand to hand, mouth to mouth, and you will see these truths are very much the gospel truths. How about the Sabbath? Ethiopia is a nation defined through its existence by its fidelity to the Seventh-day Sabbath. Today, the numbers of Sabbath-keeping are exploding in Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, Gabon, Congo, and elsewhere. Why? Because the work of missionaries in the 1800s? No. The Sabbath is thriving in Africa because the Sabbath roots of African run deep, both in scripture and in historical practice. Well, why is that? Sabbath roots, it's actually a book written by a Seventh-day Adventist, former president, he's dead, his name is Charles Bradford. It's a beautiful book, check it out. Sabbath Roots Found in Africa, and this is what it says. Sabbath Roots give much fascinating information about the history of the Church of Ethiopia. The queen of what? Sheba. Sheba was from Ethiopia and bore a son from King Solomon. Whether or not that's actually legitimate, we don't know. But the Fahaslas continued the Old Testament religion. It was actually a group of Ethiopians who don't eat unclean meat, who keep the Seventh-day Sabbath, and who adhere to Old Testament principles. They're found there, and they claim to have their lineage from Solomon. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40, we are given the introduction of Christianity to Ethiopia with the conversion of the Ethiopian treasure by Philip. The treasure returned to Candace's court, and as a result, Ethiopia became the first Christian nation. The influence of Ethiopia on the rest of Africa was enormous. So from the Queen of Sheba, when she had come to Solomon and asked all the questions that was in her heart, that's what it says in 2 Chronicles, or 1 Chronicles, she came back and she began to spread the truth of what she had learned. Old Testament light. And then... Philip, when he converted the Ethiopian eunuch, that Ethiopian eunuch went and completed the second phase. He brought the New Testament teachings on there. And then what was happening for a thousand years before Catholic missionaries got there, they found a group of Seventh-day Sabbath-keeping Seventh uh, Sabbath Ethiopians who were adhering to the scriptures. Very interesting, very interesting. Untouched for a thousand years. How about China and Bible prophecy? 
This is also a Seven Day Amos book. It's written by Samuel Wang and Dr. Ethel R. Nelson. You can get it on Amazon.com. Interesting book. For millennia, China has called herself the land of God. It would appear that the hand of the omnipotence was leading this ancient civilization in the annals of Chinese history. We do not find a single instance of God's anger being poured out upon a Chinese city because of moral depravity as happened to Sodom, Gomorrah, or Pompeii. Ancient Chinese art has never found pornography or naked female sculptures like that uncovered in the Near and Middle East excavations. Why? Well, let's find out a little bit more. There's an interesting verse found in Isaiah 49, verse 12, and this is what it says. Surely they, come, surely they shall come from afar. Look these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. What is Sinim? You may wonder what the word Sinim means. Where is this land of Sinim? Actually, if you take that word Sinim found in Isaiah 49, you look up in the concordance, and it will tell you an oriental country, China, question mark. According to the Strong's Concordance, Sinem is the distant oriental region. Young's Concordance reports Sinem is a people in the Far East, the Chinese. However, the meaning is still not quite clear. Let us check an English dictionary for help. Sino indicates Chinese, for example, Sinophilia, French, from Latin, Latin, Sine, the Chinese, the Greek, Sinai, and from Arabic, Sin. China, China from Chinese, Chinin, Kin, dynastic, dynastic name of the country. You see that word used over and over again. And by the way, when a language is used, a certain vocabulary is used over and over and over again. For example, the word sabaton or the word, um, what is this word for Sabbath on, in Spanish or Saturday? You see, this is just sweeping across different languages. You can see that there's truths, these roots go down deeper and further back than we understand. Okay, well, let's look a little bit more about this, okay? The Chinese had worshipped this god called Shangdi. Who is Shangdi? The name literally means the heavenly ruler. By reviewing resuscitations used at the border sacrifice recording the statutes of the Ming Dynasty, A.D. 1368, one may begin to understand the ancient Chinese reverence for Shangdi. When, this is his own verse, this is the verse that comes from the statutes of Ming Dynasty by Confucian, he says this, When Di, Shangdi, the Lord has so decreed, he called into existence heaven, earth, and man. As anthropologists began to look in the Chinese culture, they found a monotheistic religion that was existing in China for a long period of time. They found that this god was named Shangdi. And they found that he was worshipped, and he was the sole God, he was the God of heaven and earth, and he had created the world by the word of his mouth. He decreed it, it took place. Well, you say, that could be possible coincidence. There's other religions like that. Well, let's look a little bit deeper. Of the old, in the beginning, there was great chaos without form and dark. The five elements had not begun to revolve, nor the sun and the moon to shine. You, spiritual sovereign, first divided the grosser parts from the pure. You made heaven, you made earth, you made man, all things with their reproducing power. Got their being. This came from these, uh, these similar documentations. But also take a good look at this. It's very similar to what's found in Genesis chapter 1. Very similar. Now you may think, wait a second, that still could be a coincidence. Let's keep going. This is what was involved in the sacrifice right here. And they required uh, once a year to give a sacrifice to the emperor on behalf of the country. Erect an altar of what? Earth on Mount High and offer a burnt offering to heaven. They did not offer pigs. They offered bulls. There has never been an emperor of China who has not performed the sacrifices to heaven. The above quotes can be found in the biblical record. Then God said to Moses, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice it. Your burnt offerings. It's very similar. You see, people begin to wonder, wait a second. Was there any influence in the Old Testament to uh, China at that time? A lot of times when we look at the Bible, we see just Israel mentioned. We just wonder, wait a minute, what about the rest of the world? Has God ever given light about what he does with the rest of the world? What book in the Bible would show us how God dealt with other nations? 
Daniel, anybody else? Jonah. He sent a prophet to a pagan land. And what God was showing us, when we look at the book of Jonah, we're just like, why is that there? He's not dealing with Israel. God is showing us, look, I'm working everywhere. And by the way, like it says in Acts chapter 10, any nation that works righteousness is accepted with him. Any nation that works righteousness is accepted with him. Now we're going to look a little bit into the Chinese uh, characters. And you will find rooted right there in the ancient Chinese language. This is common, well-known. But take a good look. You will find the gospel story. And by the way, language is tied into religion. And language is tied into the very roots of a culture. Look at the word for righteousness, or the character for the word, or the, the, the symbol of righteousness. It means men plus sheep. Very interesting. Now you say, well, that still could be some coincidence. Let's keep going. The word create is a combination of the words speak, dust, life, walk, and mud. What does that sound like to you? Creation. Now you say, wait, it's just a second now. The word for boat is a combination of the word vessel plus eight person. The divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is an antitype which saves us. Baptism. Wait just a second. The word for tower is a combination of the word dust, grass, people, one mouth. The Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have built one language and what they begin to do now, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Why? How did this come about? Because right after the Tower of Babel, when God confused the languages, men begin to spread out. Now, I personally believe this. I don't believe that the earth was just divided at the time of the flood. I believe that there was a slow division of the continents, a continental drift that had sort of erratic behavior right in the very beginning, right after the flood. Because if you read the book of Genesis, you will find that shortly after the the uh, generations of Noah, in about the fourth or fifth generation, the Bible describes a man by the name of Pegleg, and it says, Peleg, not Pegleg, Peleg. <laughs> and Peleg, he was the son of so-and-so, and the earth was divided in those days. So there seemed to be some erratic continental drift that was still taking place shortly after the time of the flood. And so you see these nations spreading all over the world and then adapting to the various climates and just to the, the other things that are there. But you see this, you see, and that's why you also find in almost every, every single culture, you will find the ziggurat structure. Do you know what a ziggurat structure is? It would have been most likely what the Tower of Babel was. And you find it in almost every single culture. You find pyramids, you find the Incan temple, you find Indian temples, and these are, there's sort of this triangular pyramid structure, and it's pointing to the top. Why? Because the people took the knowledge they had when they were spread apart of what the Tower of Babel and about the recent flood, and they took it to their various nations, got corrupted by the things of this world, and these truths were just hidden. And they lied there. How about this? Rainbow. Rain and final part. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I'll remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh the waters never again will become a flood to destroy all flesh you see this in ancient chinese language it's there the gospel stories are there you look at the flood for example you will find in almost every single culture a major flood you know i'll tell you a little bit more about this but look at this dr Dewingish in dinosaurs by design former president of icr actually says that there are more than 270 stories about from different cultures around the world about a devastating flood although there are varying degrees of accuracy these legends and stories all contain similarities to aspects of the same historical event one in particular was this is what i actually knew about before i became a seventh day Adventist christian when i was still a hindu i learned that in hinduism the world was just taken away by a big old flood and a man survived his name was manu 
by a giant fish. Him and his family were sort of a cross between Jonah and Noah. And they were just like, you know, going around this entire earth. But you find this flood story, a devastating flood story, a deluge in every single culture. For many years, the fish towered the ark through the water. And at last, it came to the highest mountain, the Himalayas. It's very interesting. Sounds a little bit like another other type of uh, ancient document, right? Genesis, highest mountains of Era. At its command, they tied the ark to the mountain peak, and then the fish said, O men of wisdom, I am the creator of everything. I took the shape of a fish, and I have saved you from this flood. With my blessings, Manu will once again fill the world with flood. When these words, the fish disappeared, and Manu became the father of a new race of living things. You see this light that has been fractured and placed in a system of air. Yet these are biblical truths. These are biblical truths. Let's keep going. Abraham enigma. This is very, very important. Very important. Very important. Martin Hag, PhD in linguistics, wrote the sacred language, writings and religions of Paris. But he's, the Magi are said to have called their religion Kish Ibrahim. They traced the religious books to Abraham who was believed to have brought them from heaven. Now why would these be descendants of, why would they trace their lineage to Abraham? Ishmael, the Ishmaelites. And Ishmael was the son of who? Abraham. Let's keep going. The Persians also claim Ibrahim or Abraham for their founder as well as the Jews. Thus we see according to all ancient history, the Persians, the Jews, and the Arabians are descendants of Abraham. We are told that Terah, the father of Abraham, originally came from an eastern country called Ur, the Chaldees or the Kuldees, who dwelt in a district called Mesopotamia. Sometime after he had dwelt there, Abraham or Abram or Brahma and his wife Sarah or Sarai or Sarai Vishwashti left their father's family and came into Canaan. The identity of Abraham and Sarah with Brahman and Sarai Vashti was first pointed out by Jesuit missionaries. What's this talking about? In Hinduism, you will find that there is a similarity between one of their tri the, uh, triune gods, not triune gods, there are three gods that stand at the top, Vishnu, Indra, and uh, Brahman that there is a close connection between the word Brahma and Abraham. You say, well, that could be coincidence. You place an A and it becomes Abraham, similar to Abraham. It would be coincidence until Jesuit missionaries began noticing something, that Brahma's wife was named Sarai Vashti, very similar to Abraham and Sarah. You may think, well, that could be coincidence. Well, Brahma married his sister called Sarai Vashti. And the tributary to that river is called Hagar. So you see that these things, now, now the next question comes up inevitably, wait a second, how, how in the world did that come about? I love what Ellen White says right here. Abraham, the friend of God, set a worthy example. His life was a life of prayer. Wherever he pitched his tent, close besides was set up his altar, calling all within his encampment to the morning and evening sacrifice. When his tent was removed, the altar remained. In the following years, there were those among the roving Canaanites who received instruction from Abraham. And whenever one of these came to that altar, he knew who had been there before him. And when he had pitched his tent, he repaired the altar and there worshipped the living God. Not only did Abraham worship the living God, not only did his family worship the living God, but the Canaanites who were influenced by Abraham, this man of the East, took the knowledge and wisdom and the instruction they learned from Abraham. And you say, wait a second, but how does this connect with Hinduism? Hinduism dates exactly around, well, I should say approximately around 2000 B.C. Abraham was alive around 2000 BC. Hinduism traced its roots there. 
What was most likely the case is these roving Canaanites took the wisdom they had learned, they had traded, and they had uh, communicated with other people who had gone down to India. India traces, Hinduism traces its roots to Babylonian, to Babylon. And when you see these things, you see that even like the Persians who had entered into India, they took the influence. And this man, and all of a sudden, this light about Abraham, this man who was called the friend of God, this powerful man, became fragmented and eventually was lost in a system of error. This is very interesting. Let's keep going. Anybody know who this is? Probably not. But does anybody know who the people he's surrounded with are? They're called pygmies. They're called pygmies. This is by uh, Jean Hallet, Dr. Jean Hallet. And he spent a lot of time with the pygmies, and he found some strange things in examining their culture. This is what he found. He found a story that takes place in the beginning of their sort of religious writings. And you tell me what this sounds like. One fine day in heaven, God told his chief helper to make the first man. The angel of the moon descended. He modeled his first man from earth and wrapped his skin around the earth, poured blood into his skin, punched holes into his nostrils, eyes, ears, and mouth. He made another hole in the first man's mouth and put all the organs inside. Then he breathed his own vital force into the little earthen statue. He entered into his body. It moved. It sat up. It stood up. It walked. It was F.A., the first man and father of all who came afterwards. God said to F.A., beget children to my forest. I will give them everything they need to be happy. They will never have to work. They will live forever. There is one thing I forbid them. Now listen well. Give my words to your children and tell them to transmit this commandment to every generation. The Tahu tree is absolutely forbidden to man. You must not for any reason violate this law. F.A. obey his instructions. He and his children never went near the tree. Then one day, terrible day, a pregnant woman said to her husband, Darling, I want to eat the fruit of the Tahu tree. He said, you know that this is wrong. She said, why? He said, it is against the law. She said, that is a silly old law. <laughs> Obviously, they really have moved away from the reading story. But which do you care about me more? Me or some silly old law? Finally, he gave in. His heart pounded. <laughs> Rivalry or troubles between marriage is not a new one. It's gone in the past. Okay. Finally, he gave in. His heart pounded with fear as he sneaked behind it into the deep, deep forest. And there it was, the forbidden tree of God. The sinner picked a tahu fruit. He peeled the tahu fruit. He hid the peel under a pile of leaves. He returned to the camp and gave the fruit to his wife. She tasted it. She urged her husband to taste of it. He did. And all the other pygmies had a bit. Everyone ate the forbidden fruit, and everyone thought that God would never find out. <laughs> Meanwhile, the angel of the moon watched on high. He rushed a message to his master. The people have eaten the fruit of the tahu tree. God was infuriated. You have disobeyed my orders, he said to the ancestors. For this, you will die. You broke your promise to me. You pulled out that poor man into sin. Now I'm going to punish you. Both of you will find out what it is to work hard and to be sick and to die. But you, woman, since you made the trouble first, you will suffer the most. Your babies will hurt you when they come out. And you will always have to work for the man you have betrayed. Now, what story does that sound very similar to? It sounds like the Garden of Eden story. Now, here's the thing. Dr. John Halle said something. These people have had absolutely no Christian influence. Where they have gotten the story? Because after the Tower of Babel, the truth of God's word was fragmented and spread out to various nations. So they have these, these specks of truth that are, that are lost in their religion. But Jesus took those things. Remember what she said, Ellen White says in the very beginning? And he reset it in a framework of truth. Adventist World Magazine. You can find this article online, actually. It's an old uh, article about two years ago. Adventists and Muslims, five convictions. How to build what we have in common. 
by William G. Johnson. This is very interesting because uh, Dr. William actually Johnson went down and he, what happened, let me just back up a little bit. Uh, the GC actually got a call from an Islamic country and they said, uh, we have some questions, we want you to come in. Um, we've had some unusual occurrences. We need to know more about this, this second coming. And so they thought this is really strange. So they dispatched some of the theologians to go dialogue with these sheiks, these Muslim sheiks. And they went there and they began talking with them. And one of them comes up to him and he says, he says, I had a dream about Seventh-day Adventists. And he said, really? He said, yes, I've had a dream about them. Not just one, three dreams. And the theologian, you can read William Johnson, said, what were the dreams about? And he said, in all three dreams, God showed me that the Adventists are the people of the book. And they are not to be um, opposed, but you are to work with them. What's very interesting, what took place in that discussion was the second coming teaching. And people, they begin to learn about it. By the way, you will find, when they interview Muslims, they will find um, one out of every four. That's a quarter of all converted Muslims. They either came to the truth, the, the, the quarter actually have come to the truth through dreams. You know, I have a, <laughs> one of my friends, he was actually in Norway. This is a hilarious story. Norway. And uh, he, in Norway, they have a refugee camp for Iranians. And my friend was visiting the refugee camp. He's Iranian. And he, was, he found out about a certain man who became and who started keeping the seventh-day Sabbath and worshiping Jesus. And the man apparently had a dream. And so my friend visits him, and he gets into the house, and he sees all these, like, he's just talking with him, and the man's like, yes, you know, Jesus appeared to me. I saw into his eyes an ocean of love. And he begins talking about this, and he showed me I need to keep the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day, and to avoid these things, like meats and foods, unclean meats. And then he's, my friend's there, and he's sitting down, and he's seeing all these rats running around, big rats. And my friend is just, He's OCD, and so he was just like, oh, like he's getting like antsy, and he's just like, I need to leave. But he's seeing these huge rats, and the man starts realizing my friend's kind of getting a little bit nervous about these things and just kind of just antsy about this. And as he's like watching it, he says, you know, I hate these rats too. I hate them all. They always enter my house. And he says, but on Sabbath, I don't touch them. But when Sabbath's over, I kill them. <laughs> You know, and here's the thing. God is working with those men where they're at. Amen? <laughs> he believes in creationism to some degree, right? But you're seeing this. This is a common thing. And my friend was able to start studying the Bible. God was opening up the doors. And there are people all over the world right now who are having dreams. Muslims who are having dreams. Sheikhs, an entire village had dreams about the second coming, about the Messiah. People are knowing, wanting to know more about this Jesus. And guess what? God is asking the question, who will go? Who will go? And then with this story right here, you ever heard of the Davis Indians? Well known. They, support, they put them in these little sort of Adventist storybooks. Um, but the Davis Indians are very interesting. This took place over about 100 years ago. What happened was that um, there was this uh, actually Adventist missionary. His name was O.R. Davis. And he was a missionary that was working in South America. And a miner comes to him and says, hey, you know, you keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. There's a group of Indians out in the jungles that are keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. And he says, really? He's like, yeah, you need to go visit them. He didn't go visit them. And so he gets another note later on by that miner. and says, hey, you've got to check these people out. They're keeping the seventh-day Sabbath, too. He's like, really? It never does it. Finally, his wife finds this coat pocket full of these notes that the miner left for him. And his wife says, you need to go. Go check it out. He goes, treks into the jungle. He gets very sick on the way, actually. But he gets there, 
And he comes to find out that there was a group of Indians. And what they found right in the middle of this, this sort of encampment was a white structure, a white building and it had a structure. The camp was clean. And he noticed that, which is very unusual because the other camps he had gone to weren't clean. And he found that the people were not eating unclean meats. And then he found that they were keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. And they wouldn't work and do any play on the seventh-day Sabbath. But when David showed up, he's like, well, where'd you guys learn about this? And he said, the head of the tribe said, my father, Chief Akuba, he said, he was praying and fasting, and one day the Great Spirit appeared to him. And the Great Spirit said, this is what you need to do, Akuba. You need to stop eating these bad foods, and you need to keep the seventh day holy, and you need to build a white structure, and I will send a man with a black book. And what? W. Um, uh, o. R. Wilson had the, um, the black Bible with him. And so actually, they actually caught him in the, the forest when he was walking near them. They got scared, and his miner ran off. But that's how. But he gets there, and he starts working with them, starts talking, but he gets sick, and he dies. And what was very interesting, he didn't get very long in, uh, very far in starts the teaching. And so every Saturday, the Indians would gather around his grave. They didn't know what to do. Until more missionaries showed up and then began teaching about the Sabbath. And they found out this whole, this whole thing that took place, this event. And so those people are called the Davis Indians. And they were keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. You know, I had a friend down in South America who actually showed up who was in um, Venezuela. And he was going into a jungle, going into some deep, some tribes that were deep into the forest. And the chief tribes, the, the chief of the tribes came to him and said, we had a dream about you. And he, my friend's really white. I mean, just white as white can be. And, uh, you know, I mean, just blonde hair, everything, just, he was just white. And so, I mean, they was like, we had a dream about you that you had the special book and you would teach us this book. So this thing is, this is not something that just happens and just sort of like, you know, 100 years ago. It's happening all over the world. God is arousing his people. And, you know, when he's calling people to come out of Babylon, he's not just calling people to come out of the Catholic Church. He's calling people out of any system of confusion where those veins of truth are still there, where men are still living up to the light that's been given to them. But, folks, we need to understand these things so we know better how to reach people like that. Amen? We need to understand that there are people who are searching and hungering for the, thir- for the truth as it is in Jesus. Look what Jeremiah 16, verses 19 to 21 says. It's a prophecy. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Therefore, I will behold, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Do you think this has been fulfilled? Not yet. It will be fulfilled soon. And God is waiting for people like Isaiah to say, here I am. Here I am. And when you see this, uh, you know, it's so interesting. You will find this. There was a, even another group. A missionary had reached this group of these cannibal, uh, cannibals that were killing each other. And he found out why these cannibals were killing each other. They all had a Garden of Eden story. And in the Garden of Eden story, they, they, there was a serpent and a woman. And the serpent and the woman hated each other, and they were trying to kill each other. But they believed that the other tribe that they were warring with were descendants of the serpents. And they were the descendants of the women. That's why they hated them. I will put enmity between women and the serpent. Right? But they took it to the point where anyone that they thought that tribe was descendants of the serpent. But when he interviewed the other tribe, he found they had the exact same story. But they believed the other tribe were descendants of the serpents. And they were killing each other. It was a corruption of the uh, of, uh, gospel truth. 
Folks, I want you to understand something. This truth is there. Now, we, do we need to study these religions? No. But we need to be aware of these things, that they are there, and we can use them, and perhaps as, as bridges to reach these people. But we have the entire truth that's been given to us in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, Desire of Ages, all these, the entire light, the system of truth. God has given it to us. Look what Ellen White says right here. I'm going to end with this. You are the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But she says, you are the light of the world, Christ declares. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. God's work in the earth in these last days is to reflect the light that Christ brought into the world. This light is to dissipate the gross darkness of ages. Men and women in heathen darkness are to be reached by those who were at one time in a similar condition of ignorance, but who have received the knowledge of the truth in God's words. These heathen nations will accept eagerly the instruction given them in the knowledge of God. Very precious to God is his work in the earth. Christ and heavenly angels are watching at every moment. And as we draw near to the coming of Christ, more and still more of missionary work will engage our efforts. The message of renewing power of God's grace will be carried to every country and every climate until the truth shall belt the world. The truth shall belt the world. And whenever I think about that, I always think glow. You know, there's just glow everywhere, right? We just need to belt the world, okay? But we also need to be glow ourselves in all these other countries, right? Of the number of them that shall be sealed will be those who have come from every nation and kindred and tongue and people. From every country will be gathered men and women who have stand before the throne of God and before the Lamb crying, Salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Revelation 7.10 But before this work can be accomplished, we must experience here in our own country the work of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit, right? Amen. We can't do any work without the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much again. Lord, thank you for giving us the light of the glory of the knowledge of God. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing yourself to us. The most precious gift in this world is the knowledge of our Savior. And Father in heaven, help us to communicate this to Hindus, to Muslims, to Buddhists, whoever we meet. Father, and help us to show Jesus. Because we know that may be the only Jesus they will ever see. Bless us with rich opportunities, God. And if you're calling us to do mission work, Lord, help us to be faithful to that call and to have courage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org